1: Hello and welcome to another edition of Talking Hockey Sense. It's episode 13. and I'm so glad that you could join me this week because I didn't have a podcast last week and I felt so bad about it that I decided to have two this week. So yes, you'll get episode 13 today with Craig Custance of The Athletic and coming up later this week, another episode, episode 14 with Elliot Friedman of Hockey Night in Canada. 31 thoughts and we will also have an Additional Q and A at the end of the second episode. I got a lot of great questions between our last Q and A episode and this one. And if you haven't listened to that Q and A last week, we talked tons and or two weeks ago, we talked tons and tons about the 2021 NHL Draft. I got so so many great questions, a lot of insightful questions from listeners and readers of Hockey Sense that I had to just dedicate an entire episode to it. And I was so glad to do that because. Booking guests can be hard, especially in the playoffs when everybody's so busy. But I was really lucky this week to get two guys that I really admire, respect in the business and have had such great uh, dealings with them in the past and had a great episode with each of them. So today you'll get Craig and then we'll have Elliot coming up. Craig has a lot of great insight. Uh, We're going to talk a lot about the playoffs today. We're going to talk a little bit about hockey media. And, um, you know, as we often do, I, I like to ask people about their career paths. I think that it's even if you're not in hockey media or aspiring to be in hockey media, I think there's a lot of things that you can learn from different people about what what they do or how they do their jobs. And and so that's why I, I like to ask those questions because I think that that's something that that Talking Hockey Sense listeners have come to expect from me. I do hope in the off season to have more uh, players, coaches, people of that nature as well to talk a little bit more kind of the nuts and bolts of, of, of hockey. So that'll be coming up soon too. Really excited to, to get all of that going. But again, if you didn't listen to last week's and you're really interested in the 2021 NHL draft, go back and listen to it now. And if you are ever so kind, and I know that you are because you decided to listen to this podcast and I appreciate you for that, well, please go ahead and subscribe to that podcast. Take that next step, subscribe to it. And then if you're even really, really nice or nicer, then you would also leave a five-star review, uh, a five-star rating and a review. I'm still getting into this podcast lingo. I'm not that good at it. But either way, if you can leave a five-star rating Leave a review, share it, give it a thumbs up. Wherever you experience this podcast, it really helps if you give us those positive reviews and allow us to to find a bigger audience. And I am so appreciative of all of you that did tune into the previous episode because that has been the most downloaded episode of this podcast. And I cannot believe that because it was just me talking and I've had... Bob McKenzie on here. I've had John Butchergrass on here. Obviously, we've got Craig today. Maybe he'll beat that record. You know, I've had Corey Pronman, Brad Schlossman, Marissa and Jemmy, Emily Kaplan, Greg Wasinski. I mean, we've had so many great guests. So if you haven't listened to any of those episodes, a lot of evergreen content in there. It's not all about current events. Um, and so if you want to go back and listen to those, please do. But Uh, Again, thank you so much for making last week's or two weeks ago um, the the Q&A podcast our most listened to yet. And with that in mind, that's why I will have another Q&A after the podcast with Elliot because I got more questions. And I think that the people that listen to this podcast, the people that read Hockey Sense with Chris Peters on Substack, you guys are really smart and you ask really good questions and you make me think. And I like that. So please continue to do that. Also, my every episode pitch. If you have not yet, please subscribe to Hockey Sense with Chris Peters on Substack. That's hockeysense.substack.com. You can also get it at chrispetershockey.com. And go ahead and subscribe. It's $6 a month. And as I've been recommending for the last few weeks now, against my better judgment just go ahead and subscribe for June and July. You don't have to worry about, you know, don't make the full commitment to a year if you don't want to. It'd be $12 for all the content that you get this month and next leading up to the 2021 NHL draft. You get access to everything. Now, if you're feeling like, hey, I like this podcast and I would like to have more direct contact with Chris, well, you can become a supporting subscriber for any amount over and above the annual fee. And you can be part of our upcoming happy hour which uh, will be just supporting subscribers. We're going to do it during one of the games of the conference championship or the the conference final, whatever we're calling this third round, the final four of the Stanley cup playoffs. And we're going to talk hockey. We're going to talk about the game that's on the TV. We're going to talk about the NHL draft. I'll answer your questions. We can just chat and and have fun. Just be friends among hockey. It's BYOB because it's virtual uh, because, you know, we're all over the country and all over the, the world. So I want to give everybody an opportunity to chime in, but Please uh, do check that out, and if you subscribe to Talking Hockey Sense, you'll get the mock drafts that are there right now. Have had a lot of content about uh, USA Hockey in their recent um, annual Congress, where we learned about how the pandemic affected hockey, how uh, you know they elected a new president, how the organization is dealing with what has been a really challenging year, and the optimism that I've I heard from a lot of the people in the organization coming out of annual Congress is that you know there's a lot of resolve to to help the game grow back up, but. We got a lot of work to do uh, uh, in terms of hockey in this country. And I will get back into that a little bit. Craig and I talked about it towards the end of our interview today. And so I will um, kind of provide a little more context to what we talked about, because I do think it is important to know about, you know, kind of where things stand for the future of the game. But before we do that, I really am excited to have Craig Cousins on the podcast. He's a guy that I've got so much respect for in the business. I think he's one of the best American hockey writers. I actually wish that he wrote more, but he's in a more of a leadership role at The Athletic and he's doing a fantastic job with that. So we talk about a lot of different things, um, including the four... Uh, semifinalists. That the four teams still remaining in the playoffs. We talked a lot about Steve Iserman, about Lou Lamorello. We talked about you know different, uh, uh Barry Trotz. You know a lot of great things, and and Craig has such great insight from years and years of covering these people. Um, that you know I wanted to kind of pick his brain on some of the 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 real important figures in not only this postseason but this off season. And we talked a lot about that. So without further ado, I'm going to send it over to my interview with Craig Custance of The Athletic. Well, it's always great to have guests on the podcast. I didn't have one last time I did one, but I'm so glad to come back to the guest space and bring in. A heavy hitter if you will his he is Craig Custance the senior managing editor of the athletic uh of the NHL vertical for the athletic you can also listen to him on the full 60 podcast and on Tuesdays he and Sean Gentile provide the Americanized version of the athletics <laughs> hockey show and uh <laughs> and we are and we're grateful for that as a as a fellow American hockey podcast um so Craig thanks so much for joining Talking Hockey Sense it's great to have you it's my pleasure. I can't believe you said I'm heavy, though, right off the hop. Heavy hitter. Heavy hitter. Heavy Big hitter? time. Big time.
0: Or just, yeah. No, I'm I'm thrilled to be here, Chris, and I appreciate you inviting me on. Well,
1: I appreciate that you appreciate that. So anyway, um, <laughs> the last time we, we spoke in a podcast space, it was uh, in the middle of the night uh, mm-hmm. in Sweden, mm-hmm. in a car. You were driving mm-hmm. and po- mm-hmm. while podcasting, which Kids out there, um, don't try this at home. We are professionals. I'm actually sitting in a desk right now, but but we did that with you, me, and, and Corey Promen. and and that actually was the most fun car ride I've think I've ever been on. Um, and I so, like
0: I, listen. I think people there's always hyperbole around things. That's the most I've ever laughed on a car ride. That that was the most fun I've had on a podcast. I don't. I'd have to go back and listen to see if any of it translated into the pod or if we just saved our cuz we were we, we had gone to hockey games all day and we were yeah. driving in the middle of the night to catch an early more or early morning flight um so we just were just and we'd been on the road for weeks and weeks so right. all that stuff that happens you either i found in life this is true the th- two things happen in that space you either start crying which i've been around writers <laughs> at the end of like months of covering playoffs where they're just in tears i'm not i'm not talking about myself maybe i am <laughs> or you just start, you get really slap happy, and and we were slap happy, and that, that Chris Peters, Corey prominent and myself in a car slap happy was a lot of fun.
1: It was, yeah, and I mean, we, we won't get into the details of that because it was, uh, it, it it was it was you know it's going to stay in the room, it's going to stay in the room, it's going to stay in the car, uh, right. but no, it was right. it was fun because I mean, we're driving in the middle of the night in a country we don't have any idea where we're going, and this was Sweden at the time, and. Uh, and also the other the other crazy thing that happened is you were you were there to write a story about the the epic American 2001 birth year the Jack mm-hmm. Hughes and Cole Caulfield and Trevor Zegers and this was supposed to be this triumphant story and they lost and <laughs> and so they blew up your story because you know did, but, I mean and really I had written prior to that like I think this might be the best class of Americans that we've seen in the draft and the 97 birth year is going to give them a run for their money, but still the old ones was, it was a pretty incredible. So that was actually a kind of an incredible experience. So you had to kind of change the whole story. And I actually think it ended up with a, a an almost a more, a more human kind mm. of, it, it's a totally different thing, but you made uh, you made a uh, applesauce out of some apples there. It was, um, yeah, like talking about almost being in tears.
0: I, like I, I, we typically don't have rooting interests when we're covering events, and I can say that with complete. Like it's usually like if you're covering a playoff series, it's whoever's leading the series so you can get home fastest or whatever. Like there's no, I was, I was absolutely rooting for that team because right. for my own personal self-interest, I was there. Uh, John Robleski allowed me to go behind the scenes with the coaching staff. So I was inv- invested a lot of time and had some great, you know, I was, I was with them all of the, like, they probably were so sick of me. And the pitch to go to everybody was, Hey, this is the best. This may be the best group of kids that ever assembled. And we're starting to see it now the play, you know, Cole Caulfield, we saw right. Spencer Knight, you know, Matt Boldy, Jack Hughes is, is, is maybe the best of them all. And, and um And we knew it then, like, this is nothing that's happening now is a surprise, Like This is a, this is a, the talent group, they're going to go win a gold and I'm going to document it for all of posterity. And it was wonderful. Just a great pitch and an idea. And, um, you were probably, yeah, you were there when the Russians, uh, beat the Americans. Yeah. And, uh, and I was in the corner in the fetal position (laughs) and I'll never forget. Like I called my, um, we have a editor, Mark Walliman, who's amazing. He does our enterprise writing. And I called up Wally from Sweden, a parking lot in a rental car in Sweden that we would later record a podcast in and said, Hey, this, this whole, you know, the whole week, all this money we'd set, I got shot. Like the story's done. They lost. Nobody wants to read about the bronze medal U18 team. It just, you know what I mean? Like right, whatever right. it was. And so I'm like, I've got nothing, you know, what do, should I just come home? Like, what do we do here? And, and he's like, see it through, like, go back. Like the coaches were meeting that night. He's like, go back to the coaches. And even at that point, I'm like, they're not going to want me around anymore. Like they, right. They were behind Like, you know, they were like, yeah, we like the idea of documenting gold. I don't know how much they like the idea of documenting overcoming adversity. That's a different story. Right. So he's like, go back to the coaches see this through and write the real story of this group and uh to the coaching staff's credit um Adam Nightingale who's now uh at the program and, and it was it was a really great group um who else um Dan yeah Heino- Dan Heinout who's
1: yeah one of the great characters of the game one of the
0: great <laughs> characters of the game and, and Robo and I just said hey I'm if, with your guys's permission I want to come back into the meeting tonight and the, you know and and I gave him a little space to like blow yeah. off some steam and went back to the embed and, and, uh, it ended up, I agree with you. Like it was a better story because it was heartbreaking at times. You know what I mean? Like right. being, it was, I human. was, um, it was so human. And yeah. like I'll, the, what I'll remember the most was being two things. They had the spot outside the locker room where the team bus was, where the parents would wait for the kids. And being there when they lost, and the kids are crying, and the parents are crying, and then, and just witnessing that, and then being there when they won to end the tournament, they beat Canada, and, you know, parents are crying again, but the kids are now, you know, you leave with your head up high. Right, In that right. same scene, I'll, I'll, you know, the, the, the their parents are clapping as the kids are boarding the bus, and... And uh, I see that bu- that bus kind of peel away, and you're just like, okay, that like that group's off to greatness. Like this was just a hiccup, and um, and I loved you know writing that story, and I thought I was happy with how it turned out. Um, People seem to like it, and now it's fun to like. I feel connected
1: to that group some way, you know. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, I thought that was a, a great way to do it. I mean, and yeah, I, I know, like Corey and I were kind of looking at it from you know the the mm-hmm. draft prospect element, and that's when you know. He, the reason they lost was Yaroslav Iskarov Yeah. stopped every shooter in the shootout. Um, you know that was a tight game, and you know, Cole Caulfield and Jack Hughes had, had actually had really good games against that Russian team. And it was, you know, we're watching we're watching these these players just uh, yeah, kind of that we've covered all season long and expected them fully to win, and then they're you know, you know, you, everybody's seen how Cole Caulfield looks in post game press conferences now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. after that game was a different story. It was so yeah. hard. Um, and, uh, you're like, Oh man, this poor child, but you know, cause he, he looked even younger then, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it, it's amazing. And, and really, you know, it's, those guys found the value of of finishing strong. They did have that great game against Canada at the end. Um, I think they won. I think might have won like eight nothing or something. It was it was a dramatic score line. It was it was not close. And that was a good uh, like
0: if we'll, we'll look back at that Canadian roster, that wasn't you know yeah there were a lot of good of players nobody's.
1: on there yeah exactly yeah. guys that got drafted the following season and yeah there were a lot of good players there but you know I, I think. Yeah, it's it's interesting and this is kind of, you know, it's kind of inside inside writing and everything, but that that's what happens is that, you know, you have to find find other stories and and I thought that that ended up coming out great because these guys, these these players seemed almost inhuman because they were so good, mm. so young. And then they were and that team I don't think lost an international game until like earlier that season they had lost one, but they, you know, so they had only they had pretty much run the table and and that was that was very unexpected but yeah it was uh it was a great story and and then in the end a great a great way to to kind of look at those guys and then a lot of those guys this past year got redemption at the world yeah. juniors and and managed yes. to win the world juniors in a in a really tough situation against the canadian team that was better than the one that they played in that bronze medal game um you know and and managed to to get through that so uh, pretty pretty impressive to see that. Now we're watching all these guys, so you know we'll we'll stick with this too because we saw Cole Caulfield score his first goal. We're recording this on Tuesday, and and Cole Caulfield scored his first postseason goal the other night. I mean, even then that that season, he in that tournament, he scored 13, 14 goals and tied Alex Ovechkin's record. I mean, it's just like That's an right. insane insane kind of performance. So you saw it then, and now we're seeing it. I mean, Cole Caulfield is is a special player.
0: He is, and so what's fun about now is even in the moment you're watching him blow up records that are held by great players. You're, you know, you're making Alex Ovechkin comparables. In fact, I, I remember I did a piece um, going into the draft where I had, you know, people talk about who, what I love comparables. I know people in the prospect space hate comparables. <laughs> you probably hate them. Yeah. I love them because it's such a shortcut for me. I'm like, Hey, who is this guy? And John Robleski said, Cole Caulfield he compared him to Alex Ovechkin in this piece yeah. and people in comments I'm sure you know they <laughs> went berserk um but his point you know in terms of pure finishing like there was nobody like it but there was always this this caveat with Cole is you know nobody when Alex Ovechkin at that age was lighting up was saying ah, I don't know if he can do it like this was a tank that we knew was going to be successful Cole Caulfield didn't have that and to see him now have success, not just in the regular season, because I think you can say, oh, there's always room for somebody who's on the smaller side in the regular season, but to ha- see him have success in the playoffs, um, yeah. Yeah, you know, is, is gratifying if you're, if you're a fan of Cole Caulfield, because, because I think there was a lot of people that didn't think it was going to happen for him. Really, right. there wasn't. And,
1: right. And, um, well, yeah, he, went, he went, went outside the top 10 in that draft. I mean, he got picked by, I think he was what, the fifth of those guys picked? In the uh, yeah. you know like of, of Hughes, Hugh Boldy, Cam York went before him as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think he was like sixth on on his own team in terms of draft. Uh, draft yeah, where he got drafted. So.
0: And and so it's it, and look, I'm I'm not saying I was sitting there saying he's going to be a great NHL player. I think right. the concern is valid. How when the games are at their heaviest, when when it's there's no space on the ice and you can't find a soft spot to to set up and have Jack Hughes feeding you passes are you going to still find success and there's not a heavier team out there than Vegas, you know, like that right. team, We saw it in that game. I mean, their four checks, unbelievable. They got these big forwards and, and, you know, if there's, it's a good indication for where, where his career is headed that, that, and, you know,
1: you don't want to make too much out of one goal, but we've seen enough now. Like he, right. He yeah. Succeeded. I mean, and he's, he's had two assists on on overtime game winners, you know, including yeah. a series clincher Um, and, and he's, he's, I think one of the big concerns was how does, he, when he's not scoring, what is he doing? Well, he's getting involved. He's, he's making plays. He's making, you know, he's shown that he's also a very good playmaker. I mean, his hands are incredible. I mean, the, mm-hmm. you can't shoot a puck the way that he does without having exceptional hand skills it includes, a, you know, quickness and, you know, quick, t- twitch muscles and everything else. And he's got all that. So it's been, it's been remarkable for me. I think he's even exceeded my expectations from where he, where he started and he scored 72 goals in his draft season. I mean, like that's, you know, that's, it's unheard of at the national that's team development good. program. It's unheard of anywhere, really. I mean, to, to score that many goals, um, and they have 14 of them come at that tournament where, where it's against the best players in your age group. So it's kind of been amazing to watch. And, and, you know, we're certainly seeing, you know, we saw Spencer Knight have his moment this year. um Trevor egress, you know, Matt Boldy didn't get into any, any NHL games, but he had a great college season. And mm. so that, that team, and that account of that team, I think will remain important over time because I think that that, that was a real learning experience for all of those guys who everything had come pretty easy to them. They've won a lot of hockey games. They'd won a lot. And then here they in the biggest moment that they've worked for two years for, it doesn't, it doesn't work out. And so, yeah, that was, it was interesting. Well, the,
0: the other, the flip side is I know the mistake that scouts make, or you always, you always warn against is to judge a player on one game, but after that, Askarov became my guy. Like I'd only seen him once in my life, but I'm like, this is the greatest goaltender who ever has lived or will live. So like I became, I was like, he should go top five. And, and, you know, I was like really banging the drum because I was like, it was such a great performance. Yeah,
1: it was. was. was And I think, you know, he had a bit of a down season this year. It wasn't bad. Like, I think, I think it's, it's been overblown a bit about how he played this year. I still think he's one of the best goaltending prospects in the world, but, yeah, I mean that game, I mean to watch to watch five top 15 picks come over the boards and he stops all of them. Yeah. And 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 not even just stop them, he psyched them out because they barely even got shots off. And that's what he does. He's probably the best breakaway goalie I've, I've ever seen, mm. you know, just and not just in shootouts in in live games. I mean, he takes away so much net, it's crazy. Uh but anyway, getting back to these playoffs and and that series, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights now three-time conference finalists or if you you know i know we're not calling but i mean we're, we're watching right. that and then they've set a bit of a bar for seattle uh i don't think it's gonna be <laughs> fair i don't think it's yeah. fair fair to do that. all you but, have to do seattle is uh, go yeah. to the
0: cup final in your first year yeah
1: yeah exactly so i mean but and and you know the interesting thing is is that the vegas is actually a team that also shows the importance of drafting their first draft still set them up even though the pick that they kept has not been great you know, uh, uh Cody Glass is, is still has a ways to go to to get to the level of a Nick Suzuki, who they traded away. Um, Eric Branstrom still has a ways to go too, but those guys turned into Mark Stone, into Max Pacioretty, and so you know they built a, a system and they you know found guys like Zach Whitecloud and and all these others. Um, it, it's been amazing to watch their rise, but. I mean, to see them now and to see the way that they played so far in this season, in this series, um, the last series against Colorado, I mean, this it, it feels like this could be the year for them um, yep. <laughs> of, of four, you know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, uh, but it, they, they just feel like a team of, of, of destiny a little bit. And also, I just feel like there's so much pressure on them to win right now they were my cup pick
0: um, Mine too. Going, going into this tournament and I felt, and I, I actually tried to change it after Colorado blew their doors off. And I was yeah. like, Oh, I was just joking about yeah, Vegas. kidding. It, kidding. It, it, this is clearly Colorado's here. So I don't want, you know, but my thought process with them was probably similar to yours is, you know, here's a very mature roster, uh, you know, the, like these are, you know, Mark stone, like these, these are not developing players or even young players. These are players that have been through some wars and, I just felt the teams that tend to win are the ones that have had some heartbreak in the past, but have made some long runs. And you just they they checked every box, right? They you know they play a playoff game, and I apologize for Burlington, the my dog barking in the background. Totally fine. We Earlier, enjoy
1: dogs. Yeah. yeah, we enjoy dogs on this podcast. Rooney is upstairs right now, yeah. just chilling.
0: This is not Burley's first podcast appearance. I can tell you. So, um, yeah, like everything the, the you have the veteran groups, you have the heavy players the, you have the coach and Pete DeBoer who knows how to navigate a postseason. Um, you have goalies like they have, they checked every box to me and now we're starting to see, you know, and they're staying healthy, which is the other thing at this point in, the, in time. Um, or, you know, so i like i not in John and i talked about this on our podcast today like that's to a write off montreal but to me i'd be really surprised if montreal like wins a series for all those right. reasons i don't feel the same way in the other like uh, the islanders tampa series is, is is fascinating to me but oh yeah um i think you know if, if it becomes tampa in vegas like that's that's a fascinating matchup because it checks both teams check all those things right like it's right. it's too similar experienced teams I think Tampa's one of the I think they're gonna we're gonna look back at this era and they're gonna be you know one of the all-time greats like I love that they, they've now like we, we forget but they've had those runs in the past with this group and you know losing to the Blackhawks in the final and like, mm-hmm. they've and I I, I know And talking to them they're like they're driven to put themselves in those conversations as one of the all-time like winning back-to-back cups elevates you even more than one cup and so For you sure. have these two narratives that are driving on top of the other team the other four, final four teams but um i you're, you're right i i so i'm not ready to say they're a team of destiny only because i think tampa I, it like has that other fact that it factor i think they not want to be they don't want to be a team of destiny they want to be a team you know of all, of all time right like right. they want to be mentioned in the of this era with the blackhawks and the kings and some of these other
1: greats and you have to win multiple cups and the penguins to do that for sure, yeah. I mean, that and that's that's the uh, that's the amazing thing is we're looking at this other series here with New York and in Tampa. And first of all, the Islanders are proving early on in the series. We're only one game into the series as we record this, but this is a team that is really tough five on five and has made it yeah. really tough five on five for the Lightning, which has more weapons than anybody could ever want in an offensive attack. When you think of Kucherov and Stamkos and Point and, you know, you look at the second Kalorn, every single postseason being <laughs> an absolute monster. Um He majored in playoffs at Harvard, I'm pretty sure. Um But, you know, like he's, you know, it, it's, it's amazing. And, and meanwhile, the Islanders at all, you know, we kind of talked about the lightning and how they want to drive. They've got a really tough road ahead Especially if they can't manage to win game two on home ice, yeah. um, you know, because, you know, we're looking at the Coliseum being like the the den of horrors for any other team that comes in there. So, mm. um, so before we get back to the, I do want to bounce back to the lightning, but I want to go with the Islanders. I mean, you know, you've covered the game for a long time. I'm sure you talked to Barry Trotz a lot, at, oh, yeah. you know, over the years and. You know, you've obviously written about coaches in in a a book uh, as well, and it's sitting on my shelf right now behind the bench. I'll get the, you know, find it wherever you buy your books. Um, Free plug. Um, Thank you. But and you're welcome. Um, But (laughs) anyway, you know, Barry Trotz has seemingly given the Islanders an identity. He has the players to. You know, kind of execute that identity, and also is now getting the goaltending as well. So it's it feels like there's been a bit of a perfect storm brewing, and now it's all there. and And I think we're gonna if we if we aren't already. I know he only has one Stanley Cup, but I mean we have to be talking about Barry Trotz is one of the elite coaches of the modern era. Yes, he's uh, Barry has to be the best coach in the game right now.
0: I think it's fair to say based on what he's done. Yeah, and. Um, I, like what, what I love about that team is, is, and I'm an analytics guy and I've been fighting, you know, I, 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 I think that's all important, but I'm also never been like the guy that rolls their eyes at culture either. Right. right like I, right. and there's, there's a bit of that in the analytics space where it's just like, Hey, if you just put a lineup together of all the best players in the world, I mean, you're going to win. And, and I mean, yes, I guess you, you do want to try to build your best possible roster, Yeah. but the Islanders are an example of if you have a clear identity as a team and a way you play the, some of the part, you know, not to be cliche, but you can still be bigger than the individuals. And, and Lou Lamarillo has been doing it a very long time and nobody knows more about culture than building than him. And Barry Trotz is the perfect coach for him. And like that, I don't, we shouldn't be surprised that that duo has found a way to, to create a team that's giving all these other teams fits.
1: Yeah, no question about it. I mean, and really, that yeah, it starts. You look at the guys that Lou brought in, and, and people always have you know criticized him going sometimes with familiarity or or you know yeah. guys like Kyle Palmieri and and Matt and Travis Ajak. But I mean, they can't even get Zajac. They can't take Zajak out of the lineup at this point. He's played too right. well, you know. And Palmieri's yeah. been one of their best postseason scorers. And you know, that's the other thing that I guess we should talk about too is with with Lou. The idea that the game has passed him by, it—I it, mean, it's laughable. It's, it's I laughable. Mean, it's yeah, laughable. No, it's not. It's not. It's not Come true. On. It's just not yes. true. um And and I mean, I think we we could have said that even about some of the things that he did at the time. You know, when he was with Toronto, and I know that everyone's like, "Oh, this is you know the the Kyle's behind the scenes pulling the strings," and and certainly he had a, a say in decisions and everything. But, I mean, this is one of the great leaders of of all time in the sports, and and you know, going back from being a you know college hockey player, coach, athletic director. I mean, just an incredible run that he's put together. So, I mean, in your in your career and in your dealings with Lou Lamorella, what are maybe some of the things that you you kind of use as as, ta- as major takeaways from him, mm-hmm. and, and kind of the things that you've you've seen from him, and in, in in his ability to consistently bin, build winning teams. Um, you know, things are usually better. Uh, after he leaves <laughs> you know in some in yeah. some small way uh maybe not for the the devils but they were really darn good when he was <laughs> when he was there in the early stages but I mean I just wonder what are some of the things that, as you've kind of covered the league you see general managers come and go what has made him uh, you know kind of stick and be you know a hall of famer in in every sense of the word all right so I could
0: so I haven't even talked about this with anybody else but i you mentioned behind the bench I'm working on another book and- oh boy. And it's, we're getting into, instead of coaches, it's the general manager space and and what makes a great manager. Takes my money. Uh, It's, and (laughs) um, I don't even know how much, but I'm allowed to tease. I'm tease it, I guess. I don't know what the rules are and what I'm allowed to talk about, but Lou Lamarillo will be one of the topics um, inside this book. And what I've learned in the, in the reporting process about Lou is the public perception of Lou is so different than the private, uh, perception and the people that work for Lou. Um, in fact, I said this to people in talking, I'm like, boy, he must be really hard to work for. I just, so, you know, you see him fire coaches right. or you, he has such a high standard and they're like, no, it's the opposite. Like, you know, you always know where you stand. You always know if there's an issue and you have a clear expectation of what is expected of you and he allows you to do it. And so it, like, if you look, he, he's had people that have worked for him for long, years and years and decades and to, to great success. And so he's not he, like, he's the best boss ever in that, in that <laughs> regard. If you, you know, if you reach those expectations and, and what makes Lou Lamarillo a great leader is there's no, I guess there's no gray area in what is expected of you. Like mm. it's, it's, um, you know, he's, he's willing to have a difficult conversation if, if need be, but he's also willing to give you space to do your job really well. And, um, and once you're in the family you know he's you're in right yeah yeah and and it's this the, what's been really neat um is in doing this uh when i did the book on coaches joe Glenville was one of the the um chapters and I learned a lot because Joel's kind of Joel's the same way in that you don't get a lot of them in the media. Like we're getting right after games, you're getting, Oh, he was okay. And all these Joel Quenville yeah. that you have to interpret. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I don't think we know Joel Quenville all that well. Uh, and so I had to, I, in that chapter, I had to rely on a lot of people outside, you know, to tell us about Joel. And why, why do you, why do players love him? And, and it ended up, I ended up just collecting Joel Quenville stories. Right. And right. there's a bit of that going on with the Lou Lamarillo report where it's like, in, in the interesting ones are how he just wins over entire families, right? So if you're working for him, the things he does behind the scenes that nobody knows about for the families um, makes. If you talk about culture building, we just throw it out. We say, "Hey, they built a great culture." Well, what does that look like? That looks like the you know the dad of somebody on the team willing to run through the wall for the Islanders. Right. You know what I mean? And yeah. how, it, it, and how do you do that? It, you know, it's it's. Hey, I'm sitting at dinner with dad. Put him on the phone. I want to talk to your dad. You know what I mean? Like who does that? Yeah. Lou Lamarillo yeah. does that. Right. Um, and I don't even want to give away too much, but it's, it's yeah, been, that's good. <laughs> it's been such an interesting process. And, and I'm really, you know, just uh, at the tip of the iceberg on that. Like I've been, cause I'm doing um, a, a group of G- GMs here. And so um, I, I can't wait to, to see it in action and to spend some time when, when that happens as part of this process. But I, I that's, a, he could be his own book and I wish it, you know. Oh, yeah. Like his, it's its own thing completely. But B, that's what struck me the most is maybe more than anybody I've done, the, you know, this deep on the public perception is so wrong of Lou Lemrello.
1: Yeah. It would, that's kind of a, one of the things that I find that I found, especially, you know, since I've been on the media side of things, we only know such a small portion of an individual that we cover. Yes. I mean, really, and that's you know, and I, I've I've experienced that just through diff- many different ways. Um, you know, but if you know people that know them, if you have had personal dealings with them outside of a media capacity, because you know, I worked on a different side of the game yeah, before. Right. You've been, yeah, you know, you've been you know, I've been around people where where you have relationships with those people, and then you you see what's, you know, so I, I would, I would actually caution if you're a reader or a, a listener or, you know, somebody that's consuming content, you have to understand that there these are still human beings with a lot of complicated and often unseen things. And so I I think, and Lou Lamarillo has purposely kept that at arm's mm-hmm. length at all times. It's, and and it, I think that's part of some of the, you know, he was such a Steinbrenner guy too, <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah. the, you know, where he, he he's like, you know, keep it a little secretive, you know, this is, but it's only for them, and I think that that actually, like, it's only for the people that that are within that circle, and that's his philosophy. I guess that in in some ways that's part of the culture as well, where right, where it's just this is for us. Yes, and
0: and he never makes it about himself, right? And so right. that's been the challenge of of doing this. This book is a little different. Like coaches are kind of seem to be front on the front lines, and and there's there's some bigger egos in that space, and and they don't right. mind talking, you know, and um. And like julian breeze is a great example like i spent some time with julian for this and and you know he's just like he's like ah you know part of it is like he's like this is not not about me it's about the player right like it's about right. Stamkos and, and basil Lasky. he's like and i'm like no you'd be like and he wasn't saying it like i don't want to do this he's like ah what, what do people care about what i did in law school or whatever and i'm like people want to learn from you julian like people yeah. do care like you have yeah. built you've built a you know help build a, a powerhouse here and and I, I think keep in so that sometimes with the GM's it's I want we're gonna build something behind the scenes and it's about us and we're gonna keep it in-house and um, you know that it, it is neat to
1: kind of tap into that a little bit for sure yeah and I and that's the kind of stuff I love I love to read so uh, consider your first book pre-ordered um... <laughs> Yeah. I'm going to come back on this podcast
0: twenty times when when the book releases. <laughs> That's though. right. Just so be, That's to be ready for
1: the book tour. I can't wait for the book tour. I'm I'm excited <laughs> about it. When the, and you talking about Julian Breesblog gives us a great transition in the Tampa Bay Lightning, and we talked about him a little bit. But I mean, just in terms of, you know, they do have they have the the cornerstone MVP center captain. You know the 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 they have the they have the the cornerstone wing. They have the cornerstone goaltender. They have the cornerstone mm-hmm. defenseman. They mm-hmm. have an elite coach. They have a great front office. They do have an owner too that was more than willing to uh, allow them to exceed the cap. I mean, I think that's actually a key point is like this is going to cost the the Lightning quite a bit of money to yeah. do what they're doing right now. Um, and I I I've been on record many times what they did with with Kucherov. I have zero problem with it. Ha- Chicago did it before with Patrick Kane. Yeah, this I mean, isn't it, new.
0: Why is everybody acting like this has never been done before?
1: Because they're the defending champs, and well, I guess Chicago was, you know, they had, had many Stanley Cups uh, is, or a couple Stanley Cups when Kane got hurt too. And it's, it's like this is how it works. And there are and and if we want to especially like who cares really? I mean, who does it who does it really hurt? The salary cap. Hurt so many things about the nhl yeah it it freezes the trade market it freezes you know team's ability to move players uh free agency becomes a a slog as as opposed to having the excitement of of other leagues so when a team can actually take advantage of the, the 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 situation the salary cap presents them they should and also it it's allowing us to see the best possible Tampa Bay lightning team we can. And as a fan of hockey, maybe not as a fan of the New York Islanders or any of the teams that they eliminated, but as a fan of hockey, that is what I want to see. I want to see the best players be the best players. And I, and I like, and I'll ask you this as part of this kind of conversation, I kind of think it's fun when there's a dominant team, when there is a golden state warriors, when there is a Patriots, when there is a villain mm-hmm. in some way. And Tampa is the most unlikely, I think, of, of, of villains <laughs> in this situation. But at the same time, I mean, that seems to be uh I know there was like a, a Twitter map that everybody's rooting for the Islanders in this series, unless you're in Florida. And I was like, okay, I guess. <laughs> so. uh.
0: So, I mean, what I, are, I, th- I think the Lightning should embrace the villain. They, they oh, John Cooper sure. should come out and just be like, best roster money could buy coming up tonight. Like, <laughs> you know, really. Because, uh, like, and they, and they never would, of course. No. Talking, but it, like, Julian too, is always yeah. like, if you talk to him, he's like, we'd follow the letter of the law. Like, we, the league is known as, you know, he, he, he you yeah. know. I w- It would be so much more fun if you'd be like, hey, you know, if you ain't cheating, you're not trying, or, you know, really, yeah, like, really exactly. go all the way with this. But they will never. Um, but I agree. Like, one of my, know i've always said like the dynasties are good Mm -hmm. um i i hate that you know these teams win the cup and the next day we're talking about dismantling them for purposes i know um and we you know look at the if you're the blackhawks how uh, the guys are getting traded before the parade and all the stuff like that's i I, I hate that like i i like having it I, i think it hurts the product um from a television standpoint it makes it so local that there's, you know, who's the national must-see team, you know, to to watch, right. and and right. it should be the Tampa Bay Lightning, or it should be the Edmonton Oilers, or or the Toronto Maple Leafs, or whatever. Yeah. These high-end skill, and and we're already saying, oh, the the Maple Leafs might have missed their opportunity to win, and and right. some, you know, and and it's <laughs> like that's that's not good for the sport. And I know nobody in Carolina or wherever wants to hear that, but but it's also fun when Carolina or the Islanders are a great example we're Lou is there's certain dollar amounts he's not going to pay over for guys. And, and he's going to put money into the whole roster into the third and fourth lines. And it's not going to be a star power and it's going to be our, our underdogs against here. Like that's good for the game too. For sure. And watching the Islanders knock off the, the giant is, you know, is great. Or the blue jackets did it, you know, whatever, two years ago. So, yeah, I agree. I, I, you know, like, the Dougie Hamilton comments were great. Like it it was like the most interesting thing someone said in in a long time. And, and I've talked to Sarah Sivian about this and she's like, I'm not even sure he meant it. Like it came off. It was almost like, Hey, they're willing to spend. And that's what happens when you're willing to, like, you know, Dougie's also a UFA. So maybe it's like, Hey, hey, Tom Dundon, this, that team's willing to spend. We should be too. And, and, but I I loved it. I loved that. You know, it, it,
1: I like those stories. I think it's good. Absolutely. I, I, I love it too. And this is also provides like a slight segue for me too, because I mean, obviously a, a lot, a large amount of the work done to build that team was done by Steve Eiserman, who's now mm-hmm. with the Detroit Red Wings. Um, and you're a Michigan guy, you covered the Red Wings for, for a period of time for, for the yeah. Athletics specifically. And, um, obviously the game at large. And, and so I just wonder, you know, he's, he's one of the more unique figures, I think among the general managers and when, since we're talking about him, you know, just, he is uh, similar to Lamorello and like, there's a lot that you're just never going to know about what they do or what they think. I think there's a lot of, you know, that's exactly the way that he likes it. That's the way it was with the lightning as well. It's like almost like if you ever see a, one of their staffers in the wild, they might recoil at, at the sight of a, of a, of a reporter, um, right, right, and they, they're right. like, I don't just don't want to see it, don't want to see him around me. But but he's also at the same time, I mean, a really unique, um, you know, a unique story as a general manager, one of the all time great players of the NHL, you know, who who is who's built repeatedly, has you know, has a philosophy on how to do things, mm-hmm. and it, with with Tampa, he saw it through and built a Stanley Cup contending team. Um, that eventually won the Stanley cup right after he left. And then, yeah. um, you know, so I, I just wonder kind of from your perspective, being around the organization, being around Iserman a little bit over the years you know, what has been your read on him and, and the role that he has and how he's doing so far with, with a team that the NHL could really afford to to have be pretty good in the near future. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how uh, like they've been down for a while. I've, i yeah. you know, it
0: was um, when, when they traded Anthony Mantha, um, and he played in the playoffs so like yeah he's making his playoff debut and I'm like man Mantha's been a is that right like surely he played <laughs> in one of those series yeah. towards the end there and and it's it's been it's been a down stretch so yeah you're right I think I think the league would be better if the Red Wings started the uptick but um, I think the the Mantha trade's a great example of where Steve Eiserman's head is is he's still willing to make the tough decisions in the short term now to to have the big payoff and uh, you could have totally justified keeping Mantha on this roster. Um, he's still not that old. Right. And say, Hey, right. we need, we need to have an older generation. That's still part of this, you know, youth movement becoming coming. And I think Steve's, I, what I think one of his strengths is he's so realistic about the task at hand in Detroit. And he's so realistic, even if Mantha's good good and, and Larkin's good and all these, all these guys are good. They're still so far away in terms of elite young talent. Like, where you know they don't have their headman Stamkos point. Right. They just don't, like even if you're sitting there saying um Ciders headman and you know I, I'm not sure who Larkin is in the scenario and we, <laughs> they don't they don't have a Vasilevsky. Right. They haven't. They've been down for four or five years and still haven't picked in the top three. Right. Right. Yeah. Like that. the you know the guys are drafting now in the four to six range. If we're gonna do a comp to. Uh, you know, Toronto, like these might be the Morgan Riley's and the right. Cadres and, and that, you know, and you're still waiting on the Austin Matthews and you're still waiting on and some of these other like high end and, and nobody in Detroit wants to hear that. But I, I do think when you talk about Steve Eisman, he's, you know, he's so realistic and right. understands like he's not going to he's not going to say, hey, we're really close and start to push until it's ready. Like he's he is uh, he, he's almost ruthless in, in how realistic he is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And he he came into the, the lightning right at the tail end of what was rock bottom for them. And then, yeah. the, you know, like, you know, and so, so he's been there, you know, I, I, it's hard to remember the lightning being at that level when they were picking first and second overall, Yeah, you know, when they were drafting and that was, you know, under a completely different ownership group as well. And um, yeah, but I mean, I I'm, I'm fascinated by him. I, you know, I, he's, he's the draft wild card as well. Obviously the cider pick yeah. was shocking, but really you know you can make arguments that there were better players available but you can also look and say he might be one of the best if not the best prospect in hockey right now i mean he's up there um you know so it's really it's you know they make so many good decisions um and i'm really excited to see what verona does there you know i mean there's there's a lot of things that that'll be exciting but he's one of the mysterious guys i figured you know any any insight one craig cousins could provide on a uh on, on the enigmatic Steve Eisenman. we never call those guys enigmatic. It's always the Russian guys.
0: Yeah, he's, he's Canadian. He's call, I, I think that's against the rules. You can't call a Canadian enigmatic. Yeah, I guess I don't. Yeah. You know, he's just
1: private, right? He's private, yeah, very private. Yes, he yes,
0: doesn't. Yes, and, yes. and I think the you know, I think in Tampa there there was a level of like, hey, you're the face of the franchise on some level when he first got there, so he had to do a certain amount of media. Like, I think the owner there was probably like, we need to promote the game here. Detroit really does like, the red Wings are going to be huge no matter what like Steve Eisman can to I'm sure I mean, he his huge preference stay in the background um, yeah and and I doesn't agree. have to he does very little media uh doesn't reveal much when he does uh you know all by design it, it is very Lou lamarillo and um but you know w- what you can do is evaluate his decisions and his de- decision making uh you know the applicator who we actually were talking to him on our podcast like that buyout again it's it's not only say ruthless but it's like I think it's a different approach even than Ken Holland, like wanted certain people around and, right. and like, Steve is very like, okay, we're going to, we're going to make some difficult decisions here and, and do it and we'll have some short-term pain here because we want to have a big payoff here in the long run. And, and I will, you know, the fans, I, I give the fans credit. Like they, they seem to be very patient. Like, they're I don't know if any other GM could, could have done what he's done and have this unanimous support, you know, if, if, like I've joked, like if Ken Holland had drafted cider he would have been run out of time. Like if if you know what I mean, like <laughs> yeah, if there had absolutely. been some some of these decisions made, or even like some of the free agents that he's that Steve has signed, and it, like there's complete buy-in from the fan base here and, and on what he's doing, and 100, yeah. The yeah. you know I, I just think it's still very far off, like right. And I, I agree. don't you know there's a I lot wonder how long do. that. There's still a lot. You still have to get that premier. They still need a top
1: pick. They need. They need the number one pick in either this draft or the next, the the 2022 draft or 2023. Yes. And then that. Do. And then you have your Matthews slash McDavid slash you know Stamkos. Even I mean, like you look at Connor Bedard and Shane Wright. That's basically what you need. And yep. And you know, that's probably they're probably going to be in that range. They won too many darn games this year at the end of the season. They really
0: did. They really I did. Mean,
1: I mean, I don't know that Owen Power puts you over the top. But still, I mean, like you're picking sixth and you're like, should they go for the goalie in this draft? Should they go for the, you know, another defenseman? Is there a better forward? Will somebody drop? There's a lot of questions. So I'm, I'm fascinated to see what they end up doing. But before we get out of here, I wanted to ask you a couple of things career-wise, because I, I always do this on the podcast, because I think it, it even though it's media related, it's not necessarily, there's so many things in in everybody's lives where you have decisions to make. And, and one of the things that I've always admired about you, and I thought you were absolutely nuts at the time to do it was, uh, but I mean, in hindsight, I'm like, wow, what a move. Um, you know, you, you were a national writer at ESPN. They obviously mm-hmm. went through a transition right around that time, but you were not one of the people they were going to transition away from. And, and then the athletic is not what it was today, but you made the conscious decision to to do something pretty dr- Drastic at the time, which is, you know, make the move um, yeah. at a time when it was still very fledgling and very much in the beginning stages of what it what it became today. So I just wonder. I know you've talked about it before, but I just wonder if you've now, with the benefit of of years hindsight as well, you know, how does that decision look in hindsight? And also, yeah. you know, just. How 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 appreciative of or or not appreciative I don't know what I don't know what yeah. you're gonna say but you know of the mindset that you had at the time.
0: Um yeah yeah, I mean it's worked out. I I would say <laughs> yeah, um, it's going okay. It's going okay. Um, I, I would say I was heavily influenced by because that's when I was reporting behind the bench and spending all this time with these coaches. And one of the th- kind of thread lines throughout the book was the risks these these coaches were willing to take to have success and that meant coaching at uh, turning down jobs that looked good because it was you know to, to get a job that was maybe didn't look good or, or or like going into the ECHL or quitting something you know passing up like Mike Babcock passed up like a really safe like consulting job he could have had out of college to go coach mm-hmm. a yeah. low-level junior team and and my you know and so like I each coach seemed to have their own story of some leap they made at some point to before they became Stanley cup winners or whatever. And I, um, you know, I was, I was facing this decision at yes, you know, kind of in my my own life. And I was like, I don't, my end game was never to be a national NHL writer. So, mm. uh, you know, I wanted to, I, I like the idea of building something, building a team, building, you know, whatever you can do in media and, or even running a business, like I've always wanted to own my own business. So I've I always had that side of me that never was basically in our world, I was able to, to tap into because I was a hockey writer and, and loved it and it was great, but um, didn't really, wasn't really exactly what I wanted to be. And so here was Adam Hansman, and I met with him in Detroit. He's the, one of the founders of The Athletic. And he's saying, you know, you, you have a clean slate here. You can, you can build your own staff and here's the vision of the company and, you know, you can be one of the people that helps build it. And I'm like, you know, ESPN was great. And I loved my time there. And they were making a generous offer at the same time to me to stay as an NHL writer. But I'm like, there's no scenario like where they, they can offer me besides going back in time to like 1980 and saying, help build out, you know, a sports center or something, you know, that matches <laughs> right, this, right, right? Right. And even if it, I'm like, even if this fails, even if the athletic is a huge failure, I, like I will have loved to have tried it. And, and right. I don't know when this opportunity is going to present itself. And even, even saying that it was still a huge, huge leap of faith. And, and, um, but I was just like, I don't, I'll, I may never get this chance again. And, and I think of like the phone, first phone calls and the hires we made in Detroit, you know, calling Katie Strang and saying, Hey, I'm, this, I'm, this is company and I'm doing this. You want to do this? And she's like, sure. Like, it was like, okay, yeah, I'm in, <laughs> yeah. It, you, yeah. Know, it, or, you know, and, or Brendan Quinn was, I think one of the second hires we made, who's probably the best college basketball writer in the country. And he was covering Michigan and Michigan State for M Live, and I was, I was actually just looking at the email I sent him. Like, I'm like, hey, you don't know who I am, or because he wasn't in the hockey space, or the company I work for. Um, but would you meet for beer, a beer in Ypsilanti, where he's from? He's like, yeah, sure, whatever, I'll I'll do it. And then by the time the second one arrived, he was like, okay, let's do this. Like it was, man, like to the people with the right mindset of, hey, you can do some of the best work of your career here. You know, here's the vision. And if it doesn't work, and I would like, you're like, and, you know, you're still going to be able to write some stories that you probably never would have gotten to write otherwise. Like we're going to invest in you spending in Katie's case, it ended up being investigative journalism. Like she was, you know, working at ESPN as a baseball editor at the time. So like, she wasn't going to get that shot. And like, that's where it was just trying to align passions and skills up with people that and give them the opportunity to do it. And, and that's what this company is able to do, and, and so um, it was great. And now we've, you know, we're huge. It's ridiculous A little now. bigger, a little bit yeah, bigger. Yeah, I know. We're no longer <laughs> the plucky little upstart. Um, yeah, exactly. But it's, it's it's been, uh, it's, it's you know, now managing a huge staff is much different than growing and hiring, and that comes with its own challenges, and, and so that's what kind of keeps me driven is trying to figure out what that looks like now.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, and really, you know, you think about the time that that, that all was happening, it really, you know, I was, I had just lost my job at TBS not that long before that. Mm. You know, I know that there had been a lot of people and really when the ESPN layoffs where, you know, it was Pierre and, and, and Scotty and all the, you know, all the people that you'd come to know and, and just expect to be, have there, they're all gone. It felt like the end of the world for hockey media, you know, like it just like, really, there wasn't going to be jobs, there wasn't going to be things. And then all of a sudden the athletic comes along and then there's and it wasn't right away. It wasn't immediate where there were all yeah. these jobs, but then all of a sudden you start picking off, you know, Portsline and Brotherford and Russo. Yeah, and it's like, oh, yeah. okay. Okay. So, the, you know, and it's really become obviously an important part of the hockey media landscape. I mean, so now that you've been kind of on the front end, this is a big question. I mean, and uh, you know, I don't need you to you know kind of go into the, all of it, but I mean, like it feels like you know we're we're at a new at a new time for hockey you know we're gonna have new mm. rights holders we've got turner we've got espn is back and with it on tv and it, it just feels like we're kind of at a flashpoint for for the the future of hockey in the future in in the united states and certainly for hockey media as well as as other opportunities come up and, and the athletic has created all these other jobs so so what's the next i mean do you have any foresight into you know you were you were smart enough to join the athletic on the front end is there anything coming next? I mean, what's, what's the new wave? What, what, where do we go from here? Because yeah. it does feel like there is another level for hockey media to get to.
0: Well, um, yeah, I agree because I, I especially in the U S uh, mm-hmm. like, I think, I think Canada is like maxed out, you know, and I know I, I think a couple of things are happening there. Like, I think there's probably going to be a move to, you know, do what the athletics doing at the newspaper level. Right. And probably, right. and I think it's great. Like I think if you I, we I want I want a healthy ecosystem. We you know you want the newspapers to be successful. and I think the digital subscription world is is probably where, you know where they can do that. But I think mm-hmm. in the US it is fascinating because you know hockey is this great product, but it still is a pretty niche audience and when you when you put it on ESPN, when you put it on Turner, I I think it's going to it's going to rise the make it you know exponentially higher. Than it is right. right now. Yeah. So, like, if you're so we're, you know, the athletic is making a huge bet on hockey, and not because it's it's like we believe in it and our numbers back it up. Like there's huge interest in it. Well, yeah. And I so, mean,
1: it, that company felt like it was built on the backs of hockey and the very it really was days. like it, yeah. it and
0: it's continue like we continue to kind of like outkick our coverage in terms of how we perform against other verticals, and it's like right. hockey. So we love it, it's a hockey company. Um, but uh, I think, I I think now if like betting on hockey is if I was somewhere else, I'd be, I would be quietly investing in hockey because I think it's going to raise the stand. I think being an ESPN is going to really pump it up even more. And, you know, having Gretzky, like, yeah, like, not messing around right. Like either. So right. like, they're going to, like that's going to raise it even more. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I I don't know like what that space is like. I, it, like the interesting right. thing that, that's now happening is it's shuffling people in our industry, right? So you're like, hey, right. where's Frank Seravelli going to end up? And hey, I know this guy's a free agent, and this, you know, I know the contract situations of a bunch of people in our industry. Where's
1: Chris and, Peters going? Yeah, <laughs> where's Chris
0: Peters going to end up? Um, so like, it's you know, with with that opportunity comes new jobs and new, right. you know, and and even like at different levels like pete blackburn has joined um
1: yeah valley sports uh, valley yeah. sports as a national yeah. so
0: like there's there's all this kind of uh reshuffling and and some a bit of musical chairs and that always creates opportunity right and and yeah. who's going to slide into that spot that that when when somebody goes over to turner and there's an opening at sports net and and so I, I like you know i i don't know what, what the next big thing in the hockey media space is but i do know it's i think the i think the um, I think it's on the rise, and I, yeah. especially with, with this, what's happening on the TV side.
1: Yeah, I think. I, I, well, think so but not to,
0: I was kind of rambling, so I was thinking my way through it. But I think somebody like Kevin Weeks is going to become a huge, huge star. I believe. I um, agree. Yeah, and he already is. Like Weeks, you know, everyone listening to this knows who Kevin Weeks is, but um I, I think you know NHL Network is still. It's not ESPN, right? Right. And he kept weeks he does a great job. A lot of it is his own hustle. Like he's doing stuff on Instagram. Yeah, and he's recording
1: too. Like he's, he's reporting like
0: he, and yeah. He, I, I think if I was to buy stock in media members. Um, I would be putting
1: a, 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 I put a lot into crypto and I put a lot into Kevin Weeks. <laughs> yeah, Weeksy for sure. And yeah, he, he is phenomenal. I hope to get him on this podcast at some point, just to just to attach myself to the rocket ship for, for just a You want you just want a little to grab well, it's like, on. I just want, yeah, I was like, can I get some of your momentum, sir? Uh, but yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's great. But you know, I, and I think that's the interesting thing is that we're at this stage where we don't really know what the next step is. We just know that it's, it's coming. And, and yeah. I think it's great for presentation of the sport. I think it's great for growth of the sport. You know, we just saw, you know, the pandemic has, has put a significant dent in um, not just the NHL's business, obviously, and media business, but it's put a significant dent at the grassroots hockey level. USA Hockey's yeah. numbers just came out with terror. You know, it's, it was expected to be bad. I thought it would be worse actually, but luckily, you know, but that's going to take years to recover from. And now this is, this is arriving at just the right time. It feels like too, where there is now that room for growth. So I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes, but, but yeah, but I, I think that that's, if you're a hockey fan, be excited because there is a lot to come and it's going to come from the athletic and, and all the traditional media places. And we're going to hear from a lot of new voices as well, which I think is also really exciting because, because we can use that.
0: I would say the, the other interesting area to watch is, is internationally. And so sure. if, if I could, um, you know, when I, I, like I, I would, uh, I I look at Sweden and I look at Finland, Max Baltman wrote a story about the, 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 the people in Sweden that were covering and right, doing analytics on, on the league there and how it just, they had this huge following amongst Red Wings fans um, because that was the only way they were getting information. And I, like, I, I think, I think there's going to be like a cottage in- industry in the prospect space, and also like those leagues are fun, right. and 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 there's more coverage of it. Um, I, I think that's kind of a sub genre to, to really keep an eye on too.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and yes, yeah, selfishly watch the prospect space. Everybody, prospect space always. is great. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. It is. It's great. It's it is great. We're we're gonna try to make it greater. Um, but yeah. So, Greg, you know obviously i've been a huge fan of your work for a long time been a huge fan of you as a person for a long time just uh as as a friend and and you've always been great to me and you're so kind to join me today on talking hockey sense it is an absolute uh it is an absolute pleasure and uh to to have you on here i think it's episode 13 so lucky number 13 hope you don't have any numerology uh phobias or anything like that that's very good that's so then this is lucky 13. All right. Well, Craig, thank you so much for joining me. Enjoy the rest of the postseason. Best of luck with everything as as things continue to grow and move at the athletic. And uh, it's always a pleasure to 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 be talking hockey with you. Thanks for having me. Can't wait to come back when the book's out and <laughs> yeah. listeners. Yeah, oh, uh, you will be yeah, <laughs> you'll be here. And I will ask for all the juicy bits. Our guest so. again this week at his <laughs> request. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I'll never say no. So, uh, so there, <laughs> thanks, Chris. appreciate All the right. good words. My All friend. right. Thanks. Thanks, Craig. Once again, my thanks to Craig Custins for joining me on this week's episode. So much great insight. And I'm, I'm really, it was awesome to, to hear about the new book that's coming as well, which is a pleasant surprise. I had not known about that yet. And, um, hopefully Craig doesn't get any trouble with his publishers, but I'm sure it'll be a, a fascinating book because if you haven't read behind the bench, it is such a great insight into the mind of a coach and, and in their their key moments of, you know, the biggest moments of their careers. And Craig got so much depth uh, in that book from each of those individuals and the people around them that it, it is, uh, you know, one of my favorite books of, of the last many years in hockey. I think it's a really great read. And I'm sure this one about GMs will be even better just because I am, that's, that's the kind, the stuff I really enjoy the X's and O's and everything from the coaches. But Um, I'm really intrigued in how teams get built. I think when you you cover prospects, the general manager has such a a key role and the draft is a portion of that whole building process. And that's really what um, makes me excited about uh, about that book is to learn some of those processes uh, that those guys went through. So, all right. Well, once again, thanks to Craig, but I I do want to get back to talking really quickly about kind of some of the things that you need to know about, what happened to hockey during the pandemic? And and it's so important, you know, the, the NHL is such a key part of, of hockey in this country. The, uh, the U.S., uh, you know, the, the college hockey, the USHL, AHL, ECHL, minor leagues all over. They're all key parts of it, but really what it comes down to it is the overall health of the game. One of the best ways to kind of look at the overall health of the game is, is how many people are playing it, how many people are involved in it, how many people are active participants. And we all know that hockey is a difficult sport to get into. There are many barriers to entry in terms of cost, availability, um, you know, rinks. You need to have all of those things in order to have hockey grow. And we also knew that the pandemic negatively affected the NHL. We're going to see a flat salary cap for several years. Obviously, teams lost a ton of money. It was not easy for anybody, um, you know, minor leaguers and 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 guys that, that you know lost paychecks. And there's a lot there that needs to be addressed. But when I look at the the grassroots level, that's really where I see the most concerning impact. The NHL's businesses will be able to manage what happened in the pandemic the you know the owners are going to be able to handle that they have new tv rights deals they have new um expansion team coming in that you know brings an influx of cash and all these other things that will allow them to recover it's a lot harder to to manage these difficulties that were presented by the pandemic at the grassroots level because we're talking about you know arenas being closed for more than a year um youth hockey organizations maybe not being able to uh, have it have any operating costs you know different things a lot of budgetary things and one of the indications that we get from that is the numbers that usa hockey puts out every single year about its membership it's it's required to do it it's required to make it public it's a non-profit organization and so it, but i every single year i pour over those numbers and this year i i was bracing for the worst because i knew that Just because of everything that happened this year, um, and the fact that you know there were many rinks that never opened, there were many players that you know never had a chance. You know, adult hockey leagues shut down. All different things that happened. We knew that the membership numbers were going to drop because hockey participation was lower by necessity. And plenty of people decided this is an an expense I can't handle anymore. This is a um, you know this is it's dangerous. You know, I mean there were plenty of people that that did not you know, we're, that we're very concerned about infection. Um, so this is important to know because the game of hockey, as I said at the top, there's a lot of work that's going to need to be done to kind of recover from this. And again, I just think it's important to, to understand the numbers. So in 2019-20, USA Hockey had 561,700 registered players. And again, that's not every single player in the country, but it's a it's a pretty significant number of them, and that is youth and adults. So that's from, you know, adult hockey encompasses everybody over the age of 18. Youth hockey encompasses everybody below the age of 18. So, you know, USA hockey experienced a pretty significant loss from that 2019-20 number to 2020-21, which was, again, expected. And in the end, I do want to put this as a caveat. I thought it would be worse, which isn't to say that it's good because it's not (laughs) but I thought it would be worse so between 2019-20 and 2020-21 USA Hockey experienced a playing membership loss of 19.2 percent that's just players when you throw in coaches and officials which also register with USA Hockey that's 18.47 percent of total membership nearly 120,000 people fewer than the year before so it is a pretty significant number. The other thing that was pretty concerning about what we learned is it's not just about all the players that we knew that they had lost seasons, disrupted seasons. We also saw that there weren't as many new players coming in, specifically at the eight and under level, which has been a point of emphasis for USA Hockey for more than more than a decade now, where they feel you know if you get those players to, to come in at a younger age, they'll more likely stay longer, which, you know, anecdotally is true. And the numbers have borne that out. And that's why I think that we've seen such incredible growth for, for hockey in this country. But in 2019, 20, there were 53,977 new hockey players in that season alone. So that's new and that's just under eight and under. So 53,977 This year, surprisingly enough, there were still 33,875. That's a big number, but it's a 20,000 person difference, 20,000 hockey player difference than the previous season. It's pretty significant. Um, And so that's one of the concerns there is that you've lost potentially 20,000 kids that may you know, maybe you don't capture them uh, in in other years where they're going to pick up hockey sticks and, and come play. But I think that we will see some some things that will improve. Now, I also wanted to provide a little bit of anecdotal conversation as well. Something personal for me is that, you know, hockey has actually been a really big part of my family's recovery from coming out of a pandemic year where we were, you know, homebound, homeschooling, doing all these things. And once restrictions started to be limited and once we felt safe enough, um... You know, my son took up hockey this year for the first time as a, as an eight, uh, you know, seven year old. And, and once we felt comfortable and safe in going back to the arena where there was social distancing, the players were wearing masks, the coaches were wearing masks, all the parents were wearing masks. Um, and you know, they were already back in school. That's when we started feeling like, okay, it's time to come back to hockey. And so what I saw over the, my time there with our, with our small youth hockey program in Cedar Rapids was, there were a lot of kids that felt that they wanted to try hockey too. And and we had that free program where you got the free equipment and then the first session is free. It's such a great entry point. And so that's going to be part of the recovery. I believe is that a lot of kids are going to come out of this and want to experience new things. So that's why I feel a little bit more optimism despite those bleak numbers that I shared with you. The other thing, you know, we talk about the growth of hockey from the from the early 2000s when it was kind of stagnant you know USA hockey is now at its lowest membership number at least for just for this season it's lowest membership number since 2005-06. so 15 years of growth and it's not lost for good but there's a there's a chunk of that lost and and I should also note that a very big chunk of the lack of players came from the adult hockey section where they had 67,000 fewer adult hockey players. So that's more than half of the total loss came from adult hockey. So youth hockey wasn't hit as hard as adult hockey, which could be, you know, that's one of those expenses where if you're an adult, it's easier to cut out. So I, you know, I'm a little bit all over the place here, but but the point remains, this was a tough year. Um, according to, you know, sources at USA Hockey, the feeling is that it could take up to three years to recover from, these losses in terms of membership losses, they hope to, to gain them back, and there will certainly be efforts to do that. Um but this year is going to impact your local ice arena, your local youth hockey organization, your local high school teams. I mean there they're, they're it impacts that in, in very real ways. And then you know you just hope that it can survive and keep going. So uh get out to the rinks when it's safe to do so. Get out and, you know, if you if you have a, a kid that's thinking about trying hockey, there are a lot of great things out there to, you know, help them learn the game. You know, I got it, my son involved in a program where it was a, a free entry and free equipment. And, and you know, now we're paying members, you know, we're people that are paying the fees to go to, to other things. And, and I can tell you for, you know, my son didn't love hockey when he first started it. I never pr- pushed him to, towards it. But when I said, "Hey, this is free," and you, you know, we we were looking for something new to do outside of the pandemic, that was a great soft landing spot for us, and it was a at a very low cost at the beginning, and now we've, you know, we're full on hockey parents now. So, I I think that that's a, you know, why I'm hopeful is I think that there are going to be other families that are like that, and certainly, you know, there are some families that are still very significantly affected financially from this pandemic, and and we as a hockey community are going to have to be there to support. Anybody that wants to to try the sport, but maybe doesn't have the means. And there are certainly going to be organizations that do that. And and I'm not all saying this, you know, obviously I worked at USA Hockey. I think that, you know, there's a lot of things that I like about the organization. and But I'm not trying to get you to go back out to hockey just to pay membership dues. (laughs) No, this is more about making sure that those arenas are still available. Those youth hockey organizations are still available. You know, that, that the opportunity still exists for kids to find this great sport which means so much to me personally. And I know if you're listening to this podcast, it probably means a lot to you too. So just something to think about at the end of this podcast. Tough year, but we're getting out. We're coming out on the other side. And I think there's a lot to be excited for and hopeful for. All right, that's gonna do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much to Craig Custance for being on here. Don't forget, please subscribe, rate and review this podcast on your app of choice subscribe to hockey sense with Chris Peters that's what allows me to continue to do this podcast I appreciate anybody that's that's reached out and said hey I I found your site from the podcast and signed up it means a ton to me um, and, and I'm so glad that you guys are finding it and finding it useful and certainly with the draft coming up no better time to get in than right now and I thank everybody that supported this podcast that website and the game of hockey. That's going to do it for this week. I'm Chris Peters. This is Talking Hockey Sense. We'll catch you next time.